not just the obvious football basketball, but it's water polo and rowing and skiing and sailing and fencing and track and, and so many others. Wow. We've gotten to a point where we can broadcast all of them. And it's through working with these coaches to understand what's the best way to tell the story of your sport. Hello, and welcome to the Dactronics Experience Podcast. I'm Justin Oxner, here with Matt Anderson. Today, we're joined by Imri Halevi, Associate Director of Athletics, Content, and Strategic Communications at Harvard University. He shares his history with live event productions, details of how Harvard puts on their shows and broadcasts, and how they look to maximize the use of technology to tell a story for each sport. We're here today with Imri. Imri, how you doing? Good. How you doing? Good. And we're here with Matt, of course. Hello, Emery. Hey, Matt. Um, and we're here to talk a little bit about Harvard Productions and everything you've been doing on that side of things. But before we get too far into the, the main topic today, um, we'd like to hear a little bit about your background and how you got to where you're at today with Harvard Athletics. Sure. Actually, my background doesn't really have much to do with, with video production or, or anything that I do today. I went to college at Boston University and got a degree in history. I'm thinking that I would end up being a history teacher or something like that. But while I was at BU, they opened their, what was then brand new hockey arena, again, a arena. And I kind of got in, started getting involved with the crew that was doing the video board show back then for again. And I saw their control room, which now we would laugh at because <laughs> it had all black and white CRT monitors. But back then, I thought it was the most amazing thing in the world and wanted to spend as much time as I could in there. Um, mm -hmm. And that kind of, that got me interested in, in video production and, and live production. Um, and so I was involved with Aganis while I was at BU and helped out with their video board shows. And then when I was done with my undergrad degree, I went to grad school at Northeastern University, also here in Boston. And I kind of, I, I, I was already interested in video production. I knew my way around a video board show. And so I, I called, emailed their athletic department, their head of external affairs, and kind of just introduced myself, said that I'm doing an MBA at Northeastern, and I, I have some experience with video boards, and if they need anyone, you know, no, no pressure. And he responded right away, said, actually, we're putting in this brand new video board at Matthews Arena, which is their hockey arena, and they didn't really have anyone have in mind to run the operation, and it was kind of when... Video board shows were also combining with streaming. Streaming was becoming more of a thing. And he was looking for someone to do that part-time. And, and I said, sure, you know, I'm happy to try it. I don't know about the streaming thing, but I'm happy to ask a lot of questions and try what I can figure out. And so I, over time, transitioned from being a full-time MBA student at Northeastern and working part-time to being a part-time student and working full-time and building up a whole video production team there from scratch, which initially just did video board shows, but then evolved into streaming of hockey and then streaming of basketball and then really streaming of, of all the sports at Northeastern. And I was there for four years. And then I got a phone call or an email from um, the head of communications here at Harvard, who's no longer here at Harvard, but he, um, he was trying to build a video production team, a multimedia team for Harvard, first multimedia team in the Ivy League. And realizing that streaming was now a very important thing and that Harvard didn't really have anyone in charge of it, didn't really have a streaming organization in, in place. And he asked if I'd be interested in applying for this new role that they had, director of multimedia. 
And the more I heard of it, the more I heard about it, the more interested I became building something from scratch and taking on this challenge of not just the 17 sports that Northeastern has, but the crazy 42 sports that Harvard has <laughs> and how to, uh, how to try to even tackle that amount of sports and how to tell so many stories of so many student athletes through, through broadcasting and, and video editing and creative content. And so that's, um, that was 10 and a half years ago. That's how I ended up at Harvard and I'm still here. Nice. And thinking back to kind of how you said, you know, when you started at BU in that hockey arena and the control room that we would laugh at nowadays because of the black and white CRT monitors, um, even my mind just thinking of how, I don't know, even the roles and responsibilities are a lot different right now than they were then. When you started in that hockey arena, what was, I want to say, like, what was your main kind of role? Were you like a camera person, stats operator, graphics operator? How was that kind of laid out? <laughs> Actually, my role was in charge of the video ribbon. So again, it had this wraparound almost three, no, it wasn't 360, but it was like two video ribbons, one on each side of the arena. And mm -hmm. uh, we put like spinning logos and fan prompts, you know, make some noise, go BU, power play. And we got, a, it's a, it was an electronics video board. And so we got some pre-made graphics from and animations from electronics, but that's it. And so again, it's really needed more content for those ribbons and they said well you know go figure out after effects or apple motion or something and you know can you make us more make us more ribbons and you know what i've always heard when you apply for jobs or when you have jobs always say yes you know don't don't say no i can just say yes and figure it out later <laughs> and so i <laughs> i took that to heart and i said yes not even uh, never opening after effects or motion in my life and um, before but i i tried it out and I tried first to copy all the existing animations that the Chronics had provided, like trying to recreate all of them and then building my own. Okay. And then they said, well, now that you built all of these, can you work hockey games and actually operate all of them? And so that's kind of how I got into it <laughs> through content creation and, and through the ribbon board, which was my responsibility. And I got to imagine when you went on to the next phase, right? You said another hockey arena, another college, and even to where you're at today, is it I mean, building from scratch up, it seems like you've kind of done that several times. Is there, have you kind of ever bounced around then? Like, is there a certain area that you like to be in? Is it like instant replay whenever you would get a chance? Or I don't know if it's even just running cameras, but there, just kind of talk a little bit maybe about how you have grown in all those different uh, roles. Again, I guess I would say in the control room. Sure. So it was, it's interesting because I kind of came in up through the ranks, but not really because I, I took a couple of big leaps. And so... I never ran camera at a Guinness. I never, I did switcher, but I, I never did replay there. And, and then I kind of jumped into being the head of a department at Northeastern, having to hire people and then train people to do the things that I'd never done myself. So oh, wow. I spent my first summer at Northeastern teaching myself everything. We got a, it's a new deck TriCaster, but it's like a, it's a super, super old one, obviously standard definition. And, but really old version because that was the newest thing available then um, and a very old Newtek 3 play system. And I just, I played around with them and I called Newtek and asked questions and read the manuals from start to finish and got some camera models and tested them out and said, well, I don't like this camera. I do like this camera and then um, trying them out a little bit and then figuring out how I was going to teach other people how to use them and creating all these training sessions throughout the summer to train Northeastern students because we were we didn't have the budget to hire professional staff. And so 
how do I train these students to do things that I just taught myself how to do? And, <laughs> um, you know, I think eventually we got there. I, I, I want to tell people I can't even show you the first broadcast I did at Northeastern. And A, because it was so awful, but B, because I was so nervous, I forgot to press record. Oh, on our, <laughs> and so I, I remember it because it's seared into my memory. Sure. But there, there is no actual physical recording of it, which is it's for the best. Yeah, because, there's no proof. You know, yep. <laughs> well, white balance, let's say white balance wasn't our strength back then or tripod level. It, this was just, it was bad. Um, but we realized it was bad. It wasn't like it didn't, <laughs> it wasn't a mystery. And so he said, okay, well, next time we have to work on A, B, and C. And, you know, eventually we, we got better. Yeah, there you go. You turned it into a learning experience. And then it sounds like you've had many different learning experiences in the in the control room and different areas of it. And leading up to what you're doing today at Harvard, how does, how does uh, that differ of what you did then versus what you're actually doing today at Harvard? Well, today is different because about a year ago, I started a new role and I'm Associate Athletic Director for Content and Strategic Communications. So I, mm -hmm. I currently oversee both our communications team and our multimedia team. And our multimedia team is now also split up to have more specific roles. When I started here, it was, well, you know, just, just do multimedia. Just do it. Yeah. And multimedia could mean anything. It was streaming. It was video boards. It was content creation. It was kind of graphics. It was some photography. It was just, there was a lot there. And now we've divided it so that we have two dedicated people who are really focused on, on the broadcast side. And then we have two people who are really focused on the creative side. Because um, that's the expectation these days. You can't just take clips from live broadcasts and put them on social media or on the website and say, well, look, uh, content. Yeah. And people expect the tighter, the ground level, the more cinematic type of thing. Um, and so it's been a learning experience for me, as before, to be able to hire not just generalists, people who could figure out everything and be okay with everything, but rather hire experts, people who are really, really good at one or two things and then trust them to do these things and not really expect them to do everything else that they're, they don't have the knowledge for. So I, I, we hired these really good creatives and said, okay, go, you know, we trust you, go be creative, go shoot games, go create amazing content. And the expectation is that you wouldn't also work in the control room all the time, that you wouldn't also have to learn replay. We need you to spend your time elsewhere mm -hmm. and then vice versa for the, for the broadcast course. So it's, it's, it's different. And right. for me, it's different because I have to, I'm, I'm no longer as involved in day-to-day -day live production. I don't sit in the control room for every game and actually push buttons. And that, you know, the good thing is it's allowed me to have more of a broader view and, and think more globally and provide more guidance from afar. Um, but it's challenging, you know, seeing other people do things and all you can think is I would do it differently. Not because I would do it better. It's just because, you know, people are different. And, and I have to sit there and say, I, I shouldn't say anything. Because it's their show, and I trust them, and I have to, you know, be okay with other people doing things in a way that I wouldn't necessarily have chosen. But it doesn't make it worse or wrong. It just makes it different. I definitely laughed when you said the now you're in charge of multimedia and how yeah. how broad of a, a brush stroke that is. And that's kind of similar. It made me think of even marketing. Right? Someone says, "Oh, you're in marketing. Okay, do marketing. Okay, is that?" about like website content creation video photography writing like it can be all these different things so you kind of mentioned then you have these two big main groups that you work on and i think you had said already that there's you know 42 teams at harvard 
how do you kind of work with these teams and actually put on um, all these different productions that go on every year? Yeah. So when I started, it was all about being gradual. So we started with 12 sports, the 12 sports that had some infrastructure or at least some expectation for immediate streaming or it had video boards or football, basketball, hockey's for us. And we started with those and tried to build up. There was nothing here. So build up equipment, build up and infrastructure, make sure we, we at least have, or that was me, just me have my, some, some grounding, some understanding of what's going on, get to know Harvard, get to know expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then gradually over the past 10 years, grow everything in all directions. So number one, grow the infrastructure. So build out, we now have two control rooms that can support four simultaneous full productions. It's building out our inventory of equipment, so more cameras, replay systems, and commentator stations, stuff like that. And then also work with our coaches to slowly bring up the number of sports that we stream so that now we're broadcasting 40 out of the 42. And the only two that we don't do right now are golf. We don't have a golf, a home golf course. And the golf course we play at doesn't really allow broadcasting. So that's something we're still working on. But all the other sports, and that's not just the obvious football, basketball, but it's water polo and rowing and skiing and sailing and fencing and track and, and so many others. Wow. We've gotten to a point where we can broadcast all of them. And it's through working with these coaches to understand what's the best way to tell the story of your sport. Just because we have some cameras and we know how to do football and basketball, that doesn't mean that those would work for fencing or definitely for rowing or skiing. So what do we need? Is there knowledge we need? Is there equipment we need? Is there talent we need? How do we tell a good story for a ski broadcast? And if we can't do it today, how do we work over the next year, two, three, four to make sure we get there so that we can put on a really good show? And then finally, working with our facilities crew as well, we have um, some, we like to call them historic facilities and um, venues that have been around for a long time. And how do we either upgrade the AV infrastructure within them or how are we included in conversations regarding renovations or building out of new facilities so that AV broadcasting, networking, fiber, all these things are part of the initial conversation to allow us to do the things that coaches really want us to do. So not an afterthought, so you make sure, yep. Absolutely. Yeah, and you say you do multiple events at, at once. There's got to be multiple events going on if you're doing 300-plus per year, yeah. right? Um, yeah, and, only all the time, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and you said you're producing for, for almost all of them, correct? So uh, correct. you said you produce, what was it, like four at, four at once, or how many can you do at once? And when you're talking <laughs> production, are you talking just the, the in-stadium type video boards, or are you talking the streaming as well? Everything, anything and everything. So okay. each controller can support two shows at once. So if I have a football game, one show is the football ESPN broadcast and another show is the football video board show. Okay. But if I don't have football, if I have baseball and softball, we don't have video boards for baseball and softball, I can do baseball and softball out of the same control room because we have two of every piece of equipment. And some some sports don't require the use of a control room for our tennis and squash. And what has been prioritized by both our coach and alumni and parents and everyone we've talked to is rather than doing one big well-produced show that's kind of whip around, we go between courts and talk about the most important thing that's going on, like a NFL red zone kind of thing. Mm -hmm. They just want us to stream every single court all the time. They just want a wide camera. They want ambient audio because these are 
Now, these are parents who are watching, mm -hmm. who are family members of sure. student athletes from around the world, and they just want to watch their kid kid compete the whole time. They don't want us to bounce around. And so we have built in-house these automated systems for both squash and tennis that allow us to stream six individual tennis courts, six individual squash courts, overlay graphics from our integrated scoreboard so that people know what's going on, overlay sound, um, and then stream those um, to their destination. And so those don't require a control room, as an example. Okay. Um, we also have some mobile equipment um, that we can take around if we need other stuff. And so I think our record was eight or nine simultaneous, actually not the same day, but actual simultaneous productions going on. And wow. that's, you know, we figured out four out of the control rooms and then tennis and squash and then some other mobile stuff. And the important thing for us is, unless we really, really can't because we're done with equipment or no staff or something, not to say no, to find a way because, and this is, it goes against what I used to believe. I used to believe either do it well or don't do it at all. <laughs> that's always been my mantra. But we did a survey. We asked all our viewers because we had the information for our viewers. This was years ago. And we said, Let's say there's a last minute change, something we couldn't plan for in a soccer game. Let's say got moved and all our equipment is already called for. We can probably scrounge together like one camera and a shotgun mic and a score button because that's automated. But it's not going to be our usual. We can't do a five camera replay show with commentators and sideline and maybe get the drone up in the air. We can't do that. We can just give you one camera moving up and down. That's okay. it. Is that okay? Would you rather we do that or not even bother? 100% of respondents, 100% say no. Give us anything you have because we just want to see the game. And if it's not the best, we'll live with that. And so that was an eye-opener for me. And that's what we've been going with ever since. It's just get it on the air. And if it's not the most comprehensive broadcast you can do, that's okay. But people can at least watch it. Yeah. So it, it went from if you can't do it well, don't do it to something is better than nothing in, in most <laughs> yeah. of these instances, right? Right. And it's, you know, we want to differentiate between scope and quality. Mm -hmm. We can be flexible with scope. If it's not seven cameras for football and it's only four cameras for football because something happened, that's fine. But the quality still has to be there. Okay. Even if it's just one camera, the camera needs to be white balanced. The camera, the tripod needs to be level with the ground and the drag needs to be organized. The, the audio shouldn't be over modulated. The, the score bug should be accurate and consistent with, mm -hmm. you know, fonts and capitalization. These little things that make the difference between something that looks amateurish versus something that looks professional. There's really no excuse for not getting those right. And so we want to make sure the quality is always there, even if the scope has to be reduced. That makes sense. That's yep. 100%. That question. Yeah. And I got a, a question you kind of remind me too when you went through all these different events that are going on. And then when you said drone, and this is probably more of a personal question, but um, because I follow I follow you on Twitter. And if you don't, if anyone doesn't, they definitely should because you're very entertaining on there. We'll put it in the in the show notes. I think it's at Emery H is your handle. but um, And I don't know if you just started doing this, but I remember seeing a video somewhat recently of you were doing the filming of rowing. And I don't know. If you could talk to that a little bit, because I think it was something along the lines of now we're able to do rowing. And I mean, rowing is unlike any other event, I would think, to record, right? It's not just a arena or a court that they're in. It's it's a long distance. And I think you use a drone for that too, correct? Yeah. So we've actually been done doing rowing, have been doing rowing for a while. And okay. just looking at viewership, rowing is one of our most popular sports, much wow. more than many, many others up there with basketball and football. And not only that, but 
it spans the globe. We can tra- we used to be able to track um, where viewers were coming from. And for an average rowing race, we would get viewers from like 27 different countries. And I think that speaks a lot to the kind of recruiting that Harvard um, rowing coaches do. But also, it's just it's a, it's a very popular sport around the world. And so it's something that we've always prioritized. Um, but as you alluded to it, it's not an easy sport to do. We no. used to, um, even in my Northeastern days, we, we used to get a laptop with like a, a cell hotspot and stream the whole thing from the boat. Like we would be on a launch on a motorboat following the race. I would be sitting there with a MacBook on my lap, connected <laughs> to a camera at the bow with a, I mean, someone manning the camera at the bow. Back in the day, it was connected with like a FireWire port or something. And then we would have the commentator sitting in the back with headsets and the headset plugged in straight to the camera. And then I would try to get the best internet connection I could on the boat, which was always bad. And then yeah. I'd always like, go under a bridge at one point and everything would cut out. And... Um, and add some graphics, add something right there on the boat and stream it. And wow. A, people would really appreciate that we would go to all that trouble. Yeah. B, it was a, oh, so much trouble. <laughs> they row in all conditions. And if it's a slight drizzle, I really don't want to have a MacBook out there or anything like that. And we've evolved over time to try to figure out the best way we can do that, not just to safeguard our equipment, but also to tell the story in a better way. And over the last four, five, six, maybe seven years, it's been for us really about the drones because for some sports, and we can talk about drones, but some sports, adding a drone is like a nice to have or a cool gimmick or, you know, it, it's something that we want to try. But for rowing where it's a, it's a race and having a look from high above really, really helps tell the story to understand what's going on there. It, it's really been a critical tool for us. And so over the last years, what we've been doing is we've had a drone cover the races from start to finish, two kilometers, and the drone feed is sent live to our control room. We also have a camera on a launch following the races, and that's like low, tight shots to show the athletes' faces that they're working hard, and that's also sent live to our control room. We have commentators typically in a commentator booth on campus, so not even out on the water, and they sit there and they see everything on the monitors, they call it, and that goes to our control room. And it's a much it's a much more comprehensive broadcast, and we can add a lot more things because it's in the control room. So we take the drone, we take the camera on the launch, we take the commentators, we can add graphics, we can add clock, we can add a lot of really cool things. And we've actually helped out other people with rowing broadcasts. Over the years, we've done um, rowing productions for championships right the ivy league championships and the atlantic Chen championships the patriot league and and other conferences as well and those are in new jersey we, we've been sending our crew and equipment down to new jersey and still producing it out of our control room here it allows us to be flexible and, and do picture in picture interviews during races and add finish line cameras all these really cool things that technology allows now and so many viewers really appreciate and the drones have really opened up all these amazing possibilities for us. Yeah, and that, that's what you're doing just for one sport, right? Just for one team, one <laughs> event, and you're going uh, yeah, to... Yeah, rowing is actually, um, rowing is four teams, because we have men's heavyweight, men's lightweight, women's heavyweight, oh, women's lightweight, okay. and there are, a lot of, there are a lot of athletes there, so we we try to think of it as, oh, we're supporting four teams by just thinking about one race as it's going on, um, but yes, it's really the, the one sport. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so four teams within that sport. That's really cool that 
all the different things you've thought of to do with the different technology and adding drones and, and adding that picture to picture to, to kind of give uh, context to what's happening for viewers. That's really cool. And I hope you have a picture of, I'm, I was trying to vision my head as you said, how you're doing that original part. Um, oh, yes. I, I have pictures of all of it. It's, uh, we look pretty happy because of how it's, uh, it's uh, ignorance is bliss kind of thing. We didn't know what we didn't know. And what are you going to do besides have a MacBook out on a loan? <laughs> The MacBook, the camera operator, and you said the uh, announcer, all just all of you in the boat there as it's going. That's got to be cool to see. Yeah. And you mentioned all these different people doing these different things. Um, how how many people are you involving to do these productions? And do you do you tap into the students that are on campus or, or different students to help with these productions? Yeah. So um, so I guess we'll start with what we have right now. So we have a multimedia team with four full time people and intern. Um, two of the full-time people are more engaged on the creative side, and then two are really focused on the live side, and the intern as well is helping with the live side, so they're full-time here. And then we have a team of about 60 or 65 students and recent recent graduates from local area, from the local area, who, um, they're our game day crew. They're the ones who operate the cameras and provide commentary and do replay and everything like that. Harvard, while obviously a great school, doesn't have a broadcasting department or a communication school or journalism school or anything like that. And so we tend to get a lot more students from other colleges in the Boston area. So Boston University, Northeastern, Boston College, UMass, Emerson, others like that. We're very lucky that we're in Boston and there's so many universities around us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what we do is really cool. It's not, it, it's, it doesn't take a lot to convince someone to give this a try because if they're a fan of sports, and really for Harvard, it's, it's any sport, they are bound to enjoy doing this, covering sports, telling stories. Um, and we've been lucky that we've been able to get such a big crew of students and train them on how to do this with us. I kind of think of, we've been talking to a lot of customers recently too about this, especially at the, the collegiate level. Have you noticed kind of any change? I mean, when they're coming in, I don't know if they're coming in as you know freshmen or sophomore, but um, from Detronic's perspective, we see a lot more video boards going into high school. So then that naturally would lead to the students coming into college kind of having a little bit of a background in the broadcast production area. Have you kind of seen that maybe over the last three to five years? Oh, absolutely. We have so many people who come in, even from, yeah, as you said, from high school. They say, oh, I was in my high school's video production department, or oh, we went to film local games. And uh, my high school had, I want to say no video production department, but no technology whatsoever. <laughs> None of this existed. And so the fact that they come with some knowledge, either experience in doing this, or at least an awareness that the field exists, I think it, it's very impressive. And we always tell them it's not a requirement. We really hope that people come in as sports fans because that, that passion for sports is what helps, A, helps them with their job, but B, also helps carry them with the long nights and weekends and everything. And we can teach them how to operate a camera, how to push a button. If they watch sports on TV, they're going to understand. They're going to understand the expectations of how do you film a basketball game and when do you usually go to, go to replay and what's a good zoom level. They'll just inherently have that sense. And if they come with even more experience of having operated a camera before in their high school or, or college freshman or, or sophomore years, that that's just a bonus for us. That's great. And then maybe just touch on briefly, too, is in case if any students would be listening, I mean, that the experience they're getting there with your production team, I mean, it's really valuable because you can end up making a career with that, right? Absolutely. We've had lots of people who've been either interns here with us or game day crew with us who've gone on to work for 
the Red Sox or the Celtics or the Bruins or ESPN or ABC Disney or many, many other universities and colleges all around the country doing my job now, doing a, a heading up their own multimedia department or helping out with streaming in their school. There's so many possibilities. And the fact that we teach them not only to do the job, but to be flexible and nimble and understand that it's not just football and basketball, but here's how you make a slight adjustment to screen fencing. And here's how you tell a track and field story and being able to move around and understand the breadth and scope of everything, um, I think really helps them with their next career move. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's with, more with the the broadcast side of things too. Like, I mean, at Dactronics, we talk a lot about what's happening with in-game productions and video displays and things like that. But there's also, like you said, the streaming aspect and putting graphics over that and making it look correctly and on brand and, and all of that. And I believe you're using some Dactronics products to do that as well, um, what we call a live book. Can you tell us a little bit about when you started using that live book and how that has gone for you? <laughs> sure. So we started both at Northeastern when I was there and here using what's called live text, which is the software that comes with new text um, switchers. And, and you can buy that separately as well. And it's, it's fine, but it's incredibly simplistic. It's like MS, like Microsoft Paint, but for broadcast, you can create graphics <laughs> and then send them, but that's it. There's no automation. There's no animation. There is, there's no forms to fill out. It's just, it's very, very simplistic. And A, while very easy to teach others, it's also very, very easy for others to break any templates that you might build because if they accidentally touch something and move it out of alignment, the whole graphic is off. Oh, no. And B, as we progress with our productions to do more linear things, we produce a lot of linear shows every year and we produce a lot of shows for, for ESPN+. Plus. The network requirement for certain graphics and the way they animate in and the way they animate out really precluded us from using a system that doesn't support any kind of additional functionality. Okay. And so we have been aware, we were aware of a live book when it was by AJT, which was a separate company back then. They did some demos for us. They were trying to get our business and we never, it never actually worked out. But then when we um, got together as a league, the whole Ivy League and said, you know, we need more consistency. We're, we're getting together for streaming. We have this thing called the Ivy League Network. This was before we joined with ESPN. And we want to make sure that our animation package isn't just robust, but it looks the same from school to school. We need a system that can really support that. And Livebook was such an obvious solution for us because A, it was affordable. And B, it, it was built for sports. It wasn't one of those graphic systems that you kind of squeeze and stretch and, and, and make it work for sports. The whole point of it was sports score bugs, sports insert graphics, and the team at, at AJT back then was really helpful in helping us create our, our graphics look and feel. Um, it's been great, and we really haven't looked back since. It's been such a big factor of, of how we tell the stories of our student athletes through broadcasting. Yeah, and maybe to touch on, I know when we kind of talked before the before the episode here today of you even saying in the early days compared to right now, you did give a lot of feedback, and you were very... So you're very happy that happy that your feedback was received, right? And that kind of led to some different changes throughout the years. One hundred percent. And the live book um, sports apps, as they're called, um, right now are very, very different than how we got them when we started out with with live books with AJT. And it's because 
we, in addition to many other people around the country, provide feedback. And it's always amazed me how receptive everyone has been to feedback because I, I know this from experience. It, it's very difficult for you to create a product when you are not also the end user, when you're not the one using it day in, day out, because it's something that you think is amazing and fully functional, but then you didn't predict how someone might be using it or a certain scenario. And so I've been very vocal with, I want to say with live book um, programmers, but really with everyone. Anytime I don't like someone, it's something I'd like to tell someone. Um, and so I've been very vocal and, and providing that feedback and saying, you know, for baseball softball, it would be helpful if we also got information from stat crew, not just from the old sport. And for, you know, hockey and lacrosse, it would be helpful if we could change what a power play was called because at lacrosse, it should be man up or player up and in hockey, it's called power play. And so these little things of how everything works with different sports, plus we have so many more sports than everyone else. And, you know, it, the live books weren't really meant for that. It was meant for baseball, softball and football and basketball and hockey and soccer. But we throw in field hockey and rugby into the soccer app and we throw in volleyball into the basketball app and lacrosse into the hockey app and water polo into the football app and suddenly there are all these functionalities and and scenarios that they weren't predicting before and so it's been really great to see the product grow and support all these extra sports right and, and technology is always evolving so it's kind of it's interesting to hear your side of that of of providing that feedback and input and, and seeing those changes actually happen and even then, you mentioned so many different sports. Yeah. Are, are you using this for, for all of the sports that you can? Or, or how many sports yeah. are you using this for? Uh, yeah, we we, uh, we started out with one live book. Then we moved on to two, realizing that two that one was enough. And the moment we got two, we realized two was enough. And so now we have three. And we utilize it for as many sports as we can. And we do, and this is it's a Detronics call. I can, you know, I can say good things about Detronics, but... <laughs> We got a new video board for our pool and a new video board for our track recently. And so we've been using the NDI output from those DMPs, from the media players that are built into our electronic systems within the pool and the track to really uh, populate all the data we can into ESPN looking graphic for sports that have a lot of data. For example, for swimming and diving, we have graphics that show lane assignments and show split times and show total times and show numbers of laps left and show school logos and names. You know, there's just a lot of information that goes into a good swimming graphic. And we could have tried to force our live book into showing all of that and grabbing it from multiple different sources. Um, but we talked to thing. We talked to the electronics and said, hey, listen, this is something we're trying to accomplish. And they said, oh, you know, you can just do that within your existing media player and NDI output shows up in your system. And so that's what we've been doing for swimming and diving and track and maybe a couple of others. And it's really been very helpful for us. So besides those really data-driven, very data-heavy sports, we have been using the Lightbook for everything else. I feel like this is kind of coming full circle to what you said at the beginning of of people willing to watch their sport, mm -hmm. even if it's only one camera when it comes down to that. But then you said it's not like you're sacrificing the quality of it because you can still put on a good-looking show with something like this, even if it's just down to one operator or anything. And um, and I was kind of curious then, too, and you, I like the Microsoft Paint analogy at the beginning with what the other software was. But maybe talk then about you have three of these in, and you talked about all the different students that you had that that you employed to help out with this. 
how is it kind of onboarding them? Because obviously, you know, they go through, they graduate, you get new ones. How is how is Livebook to learn for someone uh, right out the gate? I think it's very easy. I think with as with everything, there are people who get it really quickly and people who struggle. Mm-hmm. And but I think the tool itself is very easy to use because when you look at it, just just looking at it, you realize what it's built for. You see it an area for clock and score and then penalties if it's relevant and a shot clock and all these things. And and so it's it's very simple for someone to look at it and say, oh, I understand what the different areas are. And we just really have to tell them how we like to use it. This is when we like certain graphics. This is how we like certain graphics to appear. This is the animations we like in and out. But the actual system itself is is very simple and, and intuitive. And some people get it right away. Some people watch so much sports on TV, they just, they don't even need to be asked. They say, oh, okay, this is the time when we usually would have this graphic come up and it's great to, to see that. Great to see new people on the team click right away. And some people need more practice. Some people need more help, but it's, it's good to know that the technology isn't what's stopping them. You know, we can work on other stuff while the technology is just the tool. They already got the tool and we can work on process and procedure and a lot more. Yeah. And, and you've got your teams together and you're able to do all these different productions and, and you're bringing the students on board and things like that. Um, is, there, is there anything you're looking to do next? I mean, you've kind of listed so many different things and yeah. the, the innovations you've done and building up from the ground and even if implementing drones to try and make one sport look <laughs> even better. Uh, is there anything that you kind of have on the, ori- the horizon that you're, that you're looking to do <laughs> next or without giving too much away maybe? Well, we're trying to do, as you, as you mentioned, um, trying to do more with less we want to be mindful of how something this is COVID was really eye-opening for us, how sometimes we might not be able to rely on an available, easy workforce nearby. You know, if someone, if everyone is staying away because of a pandemic, or if someone is suddenly last minute sick and we say, don't, you know, it used to be, oh, if you're a little sick, just power through and still come to work. That's not what we tell people right now. If you have even a little bit of a runny nose, you know, quarantine for a while and let's talk later. And, but we want to make sure that the show still goes on. And so we've been looking a lot more at robotic cameras, at PTZ cameras. We've been installing them in many of our both outdoor and indoor facilities and trying to utilize them both as a way to increase our camera capacity. So having additional angles for sports like baseball and, and softball and football and swimming and diving and water polo and many others. Um, but also if we have limited staff and we don't need to send camera operators out to the facility and set up cameras and everything, we can just have a limited crew in the control room and say, okay, well, you're here. You're going to operate this PTZ camera remotely for soccer, you know, camera one, just move back and forth. And you can also do score bug at the same time because the soccer score bug on Livebook is pretty much automated. Every now and then you just need to bring up the break graphic or something like that it's, it's utilizing our, our limited crew. If we need to limit our crew in a way that's much more efficient and um, and we also try, when we discover a tool that's useful for one thing, we try to see if we can use it for for something else. I, I like the analogy of, you know, Velcro was invented by NASA for the space program, and now we use Velcro for everything. Yeah. And so same with drones. We started using drones for rowing because it's the most obvious thing, but we have since used drones for, for sailing and for skiing and also for soccer and field hockey and outdoor track and field and lacrosse and all these other sports where maybe it wouldn't have been the number one priority but now we know how to use drones we have licensed drone operators we we know what a drone can bring and what it can't bring and so 
let's try to stretch ourselves. Let's use these tools we already have. We already purchased the drones. So where more can we put them? And then can we see if they're actually helpful in things like the outdoor track and field or skiing or sailing, or where it's more of a gimmick or things like soccer and lacrosse, where it's not critical for storytelling, but maybe it's cool. Maybe we use it for a couple of games a year, maybe for the linear broadcast, and we show another angle for replay or more establishing shots. And people think, oh, this is nice that they're going this extra mile to, to make this broadcast something that uh, we can really enjoy. Yeah, because you said earlier, right, the drones on some things are just a nice to have, whereas right. more like the rowing where it's almost, you need that because the alternatives are you in the boat again with a, <laughs> with a MacBook. Um, and, and I was kind of thinking already, you know, you said earlier too about you try to get someone that's really good at one or two things. And we've covered all these different areas, right? Like camera operations, instant replay, even live book. And then you throw in drones and you said you have, you know, licensed drone operators. Is that kind of its own silo of of, of kids you bring in to make sure that they're, you know, going through the training? Because I know there's a lot of steps to be able to fly a drone for, I would say, commercial purposes, right? Yeah. We're kind of in the middle between commercial and not because okay. we're kind of a nonprofit and it's a school. But, yes, we have people we've hired and who are certified drone operators and can help us out with that. We're also encouraging some people we think we have who have potential or even people who currently work on our team. Say, hey, we'll we'll help you out. We'll we'll pay for maybe a drone training course or pay for your for your FAA exam. Go ahead and get trained and licensed on a drone so that you can be another resource for us so that you can operate a drone if we need someone else. And um, and that as we talked about giving opportunities for people for the future. I mean, th then they become drone certified. They can go out and really offer their skills up for hire, for freelance, and drone operators make a lot of money. Yep. And the skills that they learn here and perfected here, and maybe we help them get certified, and that's something that they have for the rest of their life. Yes. And, you know, we talked about a lot of different aspects of productions and, and the different things you can implement into those productions. What if there's somebody out there who's listening that's kind of thinking of taking their production to the next level or trying to maximize their production, would you have any advice for somebody who's looking to kind of grow their productions? Sure. I always say that you want to think always with an eye towards the future. You don't want to limit yourself. So if you're thinking of buying new equipment that maybe you don't have the resources right now to use to its full extent, that's okay. But buy equipment that you can grow into, buy equipment that can help you out later on. I would also say relying on students even though it can be scary and can be a lot of work early on, is really an amazing thing to do because students come with so many great, exciting ideas and they bring a passion and energy to a show that you really can't, you can't fake it. You can't just force people who are not passionate to be passionate. And students often bring that. And I think incorporating students into your production, whatever capacity is really great. And then finally, I like to always remind our team that, you know, <laughs> despite the seriousness in which we take our job, we are not doctors. You know, no one is going to die if we make a mistake. All we're doing is producing college sports for TV and we take our job seriously, but we absolutely should not take ourselves seriously. We should come with a good attitude, come to work with a good attitude, have fun with it, enjoy each other's company. And if we make a mistake, that's fine. We move on. The important thing is not to make the same mistake twice um, and just, you know, constantly improve and think about how can we do this even better next time? <laughs> That's some great advice. And kind of my final question that I have then is, I mean, you said making sure to keep your eye on the future and different things. And I know, um, again, because of Twitter, 
that you recently went to NAB. Is there anything cool that you saw at NAB this year? I'm kind of throwing this one at you off script, but anything <laughs> you saw at NAB this year that stuck out as far as just technology that's coming up? Sure. It's something I've seen, but we, we haven't tried it really yet. It Productions in the cloud was a really, really big topic there. I saw many companies jumping into it. And it, you know, we have always thought of you need to buy a switcher that costs X number of many X's number of dollars. And you need to buy a replay system that costs a lot. And you need to build out this whole control room with, with routing capabilities and conversion capabilities. And do you use IP or not? And it's just, you used to be able to, or not be able to, you used to really focus on the upfront cost of equipment. And at NAB, the big focus was you don't need equipment anymore. You need cameras maybe, but everything just goes to the cloud. Everything goes to a remote cloud switcher and maybe remote cloud replay and definitely remote cloud graphics. And everything gets incorporated in the cloud. You sit there in front of a computer looking at a website and you can switch cameras and you can key on graphics and you can track audio and you can then choose destinations and stream things using RTMP or SRT or whatever you need when the control room itself has very little equipment. It's it's all about switching from an upfront cost to a subscription cost and thinking less about the physical location you are at and, and more of here are all the resources that are feeding this cloud and I can sit at home and really call my show from there with cloud-based communication systems and commentators sitting at home and no one will really know the difference. You know, you can make it look like it's just your normal control room. And that just, it opens up such amazing capabilities. You asked before how many shows we can do at once in our control rooms. And I said four, but with cloud productions, the number is really limitless. And the question is, how much do we even need a control? I mean, this, do, we, do we need a big space or can we do it from other locations? I think... There are a lot of questions there, and if my CFO is listening, we absolutely still need to have control. <laughs> yeah. need a more. Uh, but I think looking into the future is, is where should we invest our money to to really make the best show possible for people? I wonder if that if COVID kind of pushed that too, because I remember even even if it was like the NBA bubble or whatever, but it was broadcasters were trying to call the game from their houses sometimes, and there were some delays and stuff. But I, I kind of where my mind went there. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's a, that's an interesting topic to think about there too, and and everything that we've been talking about today has been interesting. Every it's it's been fascinating to hear um, how you came up into the position that you're in today, and and how you're making everything work there at Harvard. So thank you for coming on and sharing your experiences with us today. Absolutely, thanks for having me. All right, thanks, Emery. Yep, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dectronics Experience Podcast. Please subscribe at your favorite place to listen to podcasts to keep up with our latest episodes.